0: You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned it for more info about how to get and stay connected
1: with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message.
0: Our scripture reading today is from Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching that place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, "'Am I leading a rebellion, that you have come with swords and clubs? "'Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. "'But this is your hour, when darkness reigns.' Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance." And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Amen.
1: Amen. We are looking at the theme of reversal in the Gospel of Luke and are moving into the last days of Jesus' life. And if you're here and you're wondering, okay, well, what in the world is this? Like, don't churches normally do the death bit at Easter and the birth bit uh, at Christmas? Like, you've got it backwards, and all I can say to that is, we're doing reversal, that's right, (laughs) in a fresh way this year, so you're welcome for that, but I can clearly remember, maybe you can too if you were here and lived through it, when the big blackout happened. Uh, February 2021, winter storm Uri happened, and my family and I, for us, we were at home when the power went out at our house. It happened in the evening, it was already getting dark outside. Then this blackout happened, there was no light anywhere, and when that happened, we all in our household had different reactions to the darkness some of our kids got quiet uh, some of them got scared others went in search of flashlights and candles the point is when the darkness fell we all reacted differently and in that with that moment and with that emotion is where now we enter the world of our passage because here Jesus Christ says you'll notice something fascinating in the middle of the text he says this to those who come to arrest him he says but this is your hour <laughs> Not winter storm, you already know. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. He's talking about a moment in time when a blackout happens. When spiritual darkness comes and and falls and seems to be taking over and creeping into the very hearts of the people that are supposed to be resisting it. And Jesus is saying there's a kind of spiritual darkness that if you're not careful, can come to have dominion over and take control over you. And I think it's a truism, therefore, that to be human is to face at various times and moments in our lives. Is, is, it, what it means to be human is to face spiritual darkness either in our lives or in our culture or both. Yeah. So, what will you do when, when darkness comes knocking at your door, in your heart, in your life, in our culture? How will you respond? This passage shows us today five different ways humans can respond to darkness. Four toxic ways humans respond in one transformative way that Jesus does. We're going to look at them in turn. Four toxic ways humans respond one transformative way that Jesus does. What are our seeming options, at least from Luke 22? How do we respond to darkness? Potentially exhaustion, mockery, violence, denial, and ultimately, I hope, with vision. We'll call the way of Jesus. And let me try to show you what I mean with each of these all here from what's called the passion of Jesus Christ, beginning in Luke 22. How do humans respond to spiritual darkness? Potentially, number one, it's with exhaustion. Set the scene here, give you some context. At this moment in his life here, in Luke 22 so far, Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem. The crowds have hailed him as king, as a Messiah. He's gone to the temple. He's overturned the tables and the marketers and all that. He's taken his disciples here up into a private room, shared a final meal with him, and then now knowing all that was going to happen to him, he goes out into a garden, called the Garden of Gethsemane, and here Jesus Christ begins to pray. And after he prays something incredible, and we'll come back to that in a bit, after he prays, he comes back and finds this happening. Verse 45, it says, When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, this is curious, exhausted from sorrow. And the question I think we should ask here is this, well, why were they so sad? Why were they so sad? Why were they so filled with such sorrow, like really As far as we can tell, what bad thing had happened to them? I mean, if you're familiar with the Gospels at all, we know they haven't even gotten to the hard part yet. Nothing really bad, it seems, has happened to them. Why were they so filled with such sorrow? And the answer is, think about it. Or better yet, read about it. Read about it. Leading up to that night, previous four chapters, we can read this. Jesus had said stuff like this to them. All right, y'all. I'm going to Jerusalem, and it's not going to be good. I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. They're going to check it out. Mock me, insult me, flog me, spit on me, and eventually kill me. There it is, just so you know. And Luke 18, 34 says, The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not understand the words that were coming out of his mouth. Yeah. And while they may not have understood what it all meant, I don't think they were too dumb to grasp. Again, none of it sounded good. And right after that, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He goes to the capital city. He sees the city. Uh, He begins to weep over it. And then he starts talking about the city's eventual destruction. Women, children dying of foreign invasion. Then the parables he teaches, they keep getting darker and darker and darker, like about gardeners. Who killed the son of the owner? That doesn't sound good. I mean, think about it. Like his earlier parables, they're like seeds, ground, soil. Now it's murder, okay? This is not good. And then they get to the upper room. Jesus looks around the table and says, this is it. I'm going away. The disciples say, what do you mean? We know where Bethany is. You're like Bethlehem, uh, Jericho. We've never heard of away. Where is away? It doesn't sound good. And then He keeps going and starts talking about one of them betraying him. This deal is getting worse all the time. What's going on? What's going on is they're all living through a little bit, maybe a lot of, what many of us, maybe most of us, all of us have lived through where there's just sad stuff being talked about all the time. There's only talk of wars, destruction, pain. And when all you do is hear sad stuff, when all you do is take the darkness and the sadness of the world around you into you, it just takes a toll on you. And so, here in the garden, when it really counted and came time to pray and stand with the Son of God in his hour of trial and need, they can't do it. Now, I know, again, for some of you, maybe many of us, all of us, for whatever reason, you can feel the same way today. Maybe you walked in and say, Morgan, I just feel exhausted. And not because of my three kids that get me up all night. You know, you're exhausted still, perhaps from 2020, 2021. Maybe I'm the only one. All right. From all the anger, devastation, pain, fear, all the breakdown in the lives of the people you thought were supposed to be strong and stable. All of that maybe for you was like a giant car crash that you got in. And like when, when you experience internal injuries, you can't see them on the outside. But stuff inside sometimes just takes time to heal. Maybe you're exhausted from watching the news right now. let Just give you a tip, quit doom scrolling, (laughs) turn it off. Maybe you're exhausted from sickness, marriage, tragedy, your kids' challenges. Maybe you're exhausted from all of it, like all of it is this thing put into a big blender and you've been forced to drink it all down and you know that you ought to get up, you know you ought to pray, but you just can't. You're exhausted. From sorrow. What do we do with that? How do we process that? Well, on one hand, it's okay to feel that way. We all feel that way at some point or another. But let me tell you, if we won't get up and pray, if we don't stay close to Jesus when we feel this way, it won't help us get better. It won't help us rest or heal, but because this isn't the kind of sorrow that just goes away with a long winter's nap. Okay. We need rest in our bodies for sure. But the kind of rest we need for our souls like these disciples needed doesn't come from just sleeping. So, so in our hour, your hour of trial, this is why Jesus says, watch and pray. I know you're tired, but it's okay. But pray so that you will be able to handle what's coming next. Number one, sometimes humans respond to spiritual emotional darkness with exhaustion. Sometimes, though, it's this. Number two, there's also mockery mockery just show you what i mean this is when we, we we see the darkness and we kind of begin to think well god if you're really god uh, if you're really all-powerful all-loving in charge, something somehow somewhere how could this be happening you, you, you're all-powerful yeah right look at ukraine you're all powerful, yeah look what's happening in that continent in our nation in my body family look at the pain i'm done with you god and that's kind of what Judas is doing here because as Jesus is getting up to pray and watch, tells his disciples to do this, into the garden walks the 12th man. Didn't go to Texas A&M, thank you very much. Yep. Judas comes with a mob. What does Judas do? Famously, of course, he greets Jesus with a what? Yes, yeah. What does Jesus say? He asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man With the kiss, now, you only ask this when a kiss isn't just a kiss. Someone by the name of Rabbi Moses Ababa, he was a Jewish New Testament commentator, fascinating, said this, in any group of teachers and disciples, the disciple was never permitted to greet his teacher first, since this implied equality. When coming up, a disciple would greet other disciples first, and the teacher only last, showing deference in the appropriate cultural way. Judas's signal therefore was not just a signal to the mob it was a deliberate insult this is this is this is like a soldier sarcastically uh, using a salute to address a superior officer. It's using a symbol of respect to mock the one he had formerly followed. Why is Judas doing this? Well, a couple of theories. Many scholars believe that Judas, like others, naturally, had grown weary of Rome's oppression, had grown tired of being under the, the boot and the heel of the empire, and he, like others, had hoped that Jesus was that kind of Messiah who would be a political ruler, who could restore the political national kingdom to Israel and Judas, of course, had seen the miracles. He had seen Jesus walk on water, calm the storm, ate the food. Jesus multiplied with his very hands. Had seen him raise the dead. And by the way, if you're looking to raise an army against Rome, that seems to be a convenient superpower to be able to pull out, does it not? And now, with even though Jesus all of his incredible miracle power, Rome was still in charge and worst of all, Jesus is now talking about dying and going away. So as some have suggested, either Judas is trying to force Jesus' hand, like back him into a corner, force him to fight and power up, kind of like a, like a frightened animal, or, or Judas, maybe he just felt betrayed by what seemed like empty promises made by a weak Savior who couldn't come through when it really counted. And now Judas is just done with the whole Jesus thing. So in a way here, Judas walks into the garden having deconstructed his faith. And he mocks. He sort of goes online, trolls Jesus, huh? Makes fun of his followers like, come on, y'all, really? Here we go with the Jesus. How could you believe in this guy? Judas walks into the garden, goes online, brings the Twitter mob with him, who's only too happy to oblige mockery, by the way. And Judas gives up everything he's believed in because it hadn't broken his way. Let me tell you, no matter what you're processing, you're dealing with today, mockery never helps. In the end, it doesn't. It only backfires. Can you see mockery only backfired on Judas? The cynicism consumed his soul. And I want to tell you, on one hand, yeah, being open about questions is good. Being open about your doubts, that's good. Jesus invites those things. Come on, Thomas, right? But cynicism and mockery are something else altogether. They're corrosive to the soul. I don't know what you're going through, what you've been through, but I want to tell you, when you face the darkness, never think God can't be at work here. Don't think that. Never say it's over, that God isn't still working. See, the mocking only hurts you like it hurt and destroyed Judas. Third way humans sometimes respond to darkness is with this, not just exhaustion or mockery, but it's with violence, violence. Look at verse 49. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, the mobs coming out, right, pitchforks, uh, you know, torchlights, all that, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Wow. Now let me ask you, what would be your answer to this question? When spiritual darkness falls, okay, when it looks like perhaps your enemies, fill in the blank, are going to win, should you, aren't you, Morally speaking, to strike with the sword. Your answer to this question, by the way, reveals exactly where you are with respect to proximity to Jesus. So what does Jesus say in response to the question, should we draw our swords? The answer is, he doesn't say anything at all. Because they don't let him say anything at all. They answer the question, and then because they're so anxious, so fearful, so over-functioning in this dark moment, before Jesus can even give an answer to their question, it says, verse 50, and one of them, that would be Peter, struck the servant of the high priest. He swings for the head, only gets an ear. A few weeks ago, I saw this in the news. Yahoo News chief correspondent John Ward wrote this about the emotional makeup of many, maybe this is you, many American voters during our last midterm election. He said this. He noticed what he called an intense spike in recent years of partisan hatred, also known as polarization or negative partisanship. Since 2016, Democrats and Republicans have come to see one another increasingly as an existential threat. It means a threat to their very existence. A Pew survey released in August showed that in 2016, 47% of Republicans believed Democrats were immoral. But by 2022, that number had risen to 72%. Democratic voter belief that Republicans are immoral had gone from 35 to 63 in the same period. What's he saying? Not just that Americans deeply disagree, which of course is obvious. Not just that one side thinks the other side is wrong. That can be kind of normal. Not even that one side thinks the other is wicked, fundamentally immoral, as bad as that is, he points out that now each side has come to see the other as a threat to their very existence. Now listen, when you feel like that, when you feel like, man, I am backed into a corner, my life is at stake, the other side is coming for me, what do you ask? You ask what these disciples ask. Should we pull out our swords? Should we try to kill the people we think are our enemies? And one of the disciples, again, it's Peter here, he says, heck yes. (laughs) The answer to that question is a definite yes. And he attempts to decapitate his enemy, only gets an ear. What will we do hmm? when the darkness seems to come? Pull out our swords, our weapons, pull out our guns on social media, take out the other side. You know what Jesus says, to all of that, verse 51. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And here's why. Jesus doesn't just love your enemies, our enemies. Jesus loves his enemies as well. He does a miracle of restoration in the life and the body of the very one coming to arrest him. And I should say this on the other hand, if you're here and you've been somehow attacked by a disciple of Jesus out of ignorance, someone swung and tried to take your head off over this last season of time, I wanna tell you, Jesus has healing for you as well. The irony is though, when we as the people of Jesus trying to follow him in maybe dark, difficult times, when we respond with violence in his name, it only leaves us with blood in our hands. And we find him moving towards our own enemies. We respond to darkness potentially with exhaustion, mockery, violence, but sometimes, number four, even... Denial. Denial. The fourth and final way in this passage, humans can respond to spiritual darkness. He's here in this last scene. It's Peter. He's in the courtyard of the house of the Jewish high priest. Uh, this is a trial, of course, happening off the books at night in darkness, illegally. Peter's trailing to see what could happen. But he followed him at a distance, seeing what might happen. Then something Did happen, verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, someone else asserted, yeah, this guy was with him for he's a Galilean. That's Peter's accent giving him away. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. What's Peter do? He denies everything. And I want to tell you something. He's not just denying Jesus. Hear me, we're going to unpack this. He's denying reality. Reality itself. Peter's denying the reality of the situation, the reality of the moment, because if and when we face overwhelming darkness, it makes us just want to stick our head in the sand and deny it's even happened or happening. We want to deny the implications of the truth. Why? We all know it's because that's easier than acknowledging the difficulty of what the moment requires of us. You can think of, for example, uh, the parent of the teen who sits on the sidelines while their teen's life is falling apart. You can think of the boss who won't listen to feedback or maybe the employee who won't either. You can think of a teenager who refuses to to cut off toxic friendships you can think of christians who won't faithfully engage with their church and yeah wonder why they feel so weak spiritually they are all in and more examples of course in denial about reality a great definition by the way of the opposite of this of how to handle this in an opposite way is this word the word integrity Integrity. Here's why. This is a definition of this word, really impacted Carrie and me. We've shared this with our kids from a tremendous book by the Christian counselor, Dr. Henry Cloud. And he defines integrity like this Integrity is having the courage to meet the demands of reality. Integrity is having the courage to meet the demands of reality. Integrity isn't just who you are. When no one's looking, yeah, it's that. But in its own way, integrity means remaining whole no matter what happens. Like a, like a ship at sea, though, while it's struck, retains its structural integrity. Integrity means not having a hole in your boat that sinks you. Because darkness, of course, wants to punch a hole in your boat. It wants to sink your soul. It can be so overwhelming. The water just keeps coming on and you start to deny that it's even happening. Do we have integrity to deal with the demands of our moment for some of us darkness i want to tell you is even keeping us from acknowledging the reality of where and how we're relating to jesus like it did with peter some of us maybe like peter you might be near him following him at a distance but you're staying just out of earshot so you think he can't really hear what you're saying or doing we may go to church with him, sure, on a Sunday morning during the day. But when darkness comes, our friends call. The pressure comes. And we're asked, did, didn't did I see you there? Don't you, don't you know him? Weren't you at that church service this morning? I don't even know what you're talking about. When <laughs> darkness comes at night, we open the screen up and let the devil in. That's what happens. It's like we don't even know him. What can help us deal with the darkness that comes it makes us want to deny. If we're exhausted, if we're giving into cynicism, maybe violence, denial. Well, in the end, we need to respond with the way Jesus aims us here in this passage. It's the way we'll call it number five, of vision. Vision. And specifically vision in two ways. Let me show you. First, it's seeing. How Jesus responds. How does Jesus respond to darkness? Let's go back to the garden. Back in the garden, he prayed something incredible. Verse 42. He prayed, Father, if you're willing... Take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. What's this? All right. The cup was an Old Testament metaphor for the wrath of God against human evil and spiritual darkness. And the thought of just taking that in and drinking that down, oh, that terrified him. This this wasn't just cowardice. This isn't the Son of God cracking under pressure. This is Jesus grasping, understanding what's about to be put inside of him. And it's so bad, verse 43, an angel from heaven had to appear to strengthen him. Listen, the only other time angels ever appeared to him and strengthened him was when? Back in the desert. He's facing down Satan. That's when the angels had to come because that's how terrifying this darkness is. Verse 44. Being in anguish. Now, he prayed more earnestly, oh, that we would if this happened. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is what happens when a human body goes into shock. What's happening? What's happening? Jesus here in the garden is beginning to taste in part what he would fully drink down in full on the cross, which was the darkness of human evil. Because you'll notice on the cross, what happens? A darkness comes over all the land. What was going on outside Jesus, around him, was just a picture of what was happening inside him. He would then, in that moment, on the cross, take fully into himself, into his body, all the darkness of humanity, past, present, future. And when he did, he cried out, what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, in a way... That's the worst kind of darkness at all, isn't it? You you get rejected, forgotten, abandoned by a friend, that's bad. Uh, Abandoned by a spouse or your best friend, that's worse. But this was the greatest loss of the greatest source of love in all the universe. Something, think about it, the Son of God had tasted for forever. And now the taste of heaven, the taste of love, the taste of the Trinity is being replaced by the full force of what you may be tasting in part right now. Fear, anxiety evil, violence, pain, but Jesus, Jesus drank the cup in the dark so that we could live in the light. He looked at it. He lifted it. He took it down. It consumed him. Yeah. So that it doesn't have to consume you. And I want to tell you today, the darkness you may face, the darkness you feel is not stronger than Jesus. Some of you have been lying to you, saying that it's stronger. It's not, I want to tell you. Jesus is the strength you need in your exhaustion today. He is the truth you need when you get cynical. He is the peace you need if you're tempted by violence today. He is the reality you need when you're tempted to deny. Jesus Christ is stronger than all of it. He was consumed by it, yes, so that it doesn't have to consume you. Jesus is stronger. You say, Morgan, he's not, I doesn't feel like that. Oh, yes, he is. You need to see him. See him taking that darkness into himself. And, yes, seeing something else, a second kind of vision. Here's what you also need, a second thing to see. You need to see what made the difference between Peter and Judas. Because they both blew it, didn't they? Yeah. Peter and Judas both betrayed Jesus just in different ways. I know those of you know this, like Dante, yeah, he stuck Judas at the bottom of hell because he's supposedly the worst person ever. But Peter was no better, and neither are we. Judas never came back from his darkness, did he? No. Peter did, though. Uh-huh. Why? He got a vision of another kind. What was it? Here it is. He saw jesus look at him he saw jesus look at him after his third denial it said this verse 61 the lord turned he catches peter's eye from across the courtyard they make eye contact over the firelight and jesus looked straight peter and peter began to weep seeing jesus see him in the darkness caused his own dark heart now to shatter Think about it. How beautiful is this? Even when his best friends and leader here betrayed him in the dark, Jesus didn't refuse to look away from the one he loved. And even if you're here and you say, I've denied him, that's okay in one sense because he hasn't stopped looking at you. He hasn't stopped looking at you. He saw Peter in his pain. He sees you today. Think of the hymn, Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. He loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. So, will you do something for me now? Some of you are like, "What well, depends. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be a little different, just a little exercise here. Will you, if you're comfortable, will you close your eyes right now and see Jesus looking back right at you, right back at you with whatever darkness is surrounding you. Fear you face in your family, one of your children, your situation, your job, finances, seem looking at you right there. His eyes, oh, if they're on the sparrow, come on, how much more are they on you? See, Jesus, in that moment in the courtyard, he let Peter know, letting you know, he sees you, he's with you, and in the end, telling you, the darkness you're in cannot ultimately defeat the light open your eyes here. We'll close with this. Samwise the Hobbit, yes. Alone in an evil land, began to despair. The darkness tempted to give up. He looked up in this moment story, sees a beautiful single star in the sky in the evening. And this happened. It says the beauty of it, the star, smote his heart. And as he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope was returned to him, For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Lord, would you remind us of this? In the end, the shadow, the darkness, is only a passing thing. The light is coming to this world. The darkness has not overcome it. Lord, let that re-fire our courage today, that we have the ability to meet reality in whatever way you're calling us to. I pray for us, we would say no to these ways and yes to your vision of seeing you with us in our moment. In Jesus' name, pray all these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.